0: Hi, I'm Janice Seaman Molson, and you're listening to Sorry Partner.
1: Hello, and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players. Brought to you by Bridge Partners and Friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Janice Seaman-Molson about taming her terrible temper, making bridge friends across the pond, and bringing back the men's competition. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz.
2: Hi, partner. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm really well. How are you? Oh, I'm well. So how has it been going with all your new partners? Your new bridge partners.
1: (laughs) My new bridge partners. You know, it's been going so well. I have been so lucky. You know, we all know it's such a crapshoot when you're playing in a new club and usually they stick you with whoever it is who's lying around that, you know, they can't partner up (laughs) with somebody else. But I have been so lucky. I have been paired up with such wonderful people and just really nice and really good players and you know so flexible too which I really appreciate I've played a bit of their card they've played a bit of my I know it's just been it's been a dream I have to say oh I'm so happy I can't believe it I it seems too good to be true but as long as it lasts I'll take it it did get me thinking though about past bridge lives and um, I was thinking especially about one partner that I had for quite a while who I really loved playing with them this was ages ago but ultimately just had to drop them because they were just such a terrible human being <laughs> really you yeah, did well it's just a, it was such a weird thing because I really enjoyed playing with them and and in the context of being at the table we got on great and our games are really compatible but yeah the minute they started talking about anything else they were just contemptible, and I had to let them go. It does make me think, you know, these people, I have been so lucky with these wonderful people I've been been paired up with, but I'm almost too scared to, to try anyone else. <laughs>
2: don't tell me anything about your, 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 your personal views. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I don't know if I can risk branching out any further.
2: <laughs> That's very funny, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's only happened to me in that dramatic way that one time, but it was very dramatic because it felt like such a loss, you know. Because I really did enjoy playing with this. Person. I'm impressed that you have such high moral standards.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure I would. Uh, I'm not sure I would throw over a, a a great bridge partner who just happened to be a despicable human being. <laughs> no, I'd like to think that I would.
1: I have no doubt, Jocelyn.
2: I have no doubt. Of course, I've never experienced that with any of my own partners because they've all been just complete upstanding citizens in every <laughs> way, which ha- which hasn't meant that I haven't had to break up with them, but it's just, it has never been for for that reason.
1: It wasn't them, it was you.
2: <laughs> Let's just say irreconcilable differences. <laughs>
1: So, Jocelyn, there's two letters for us in the mailbag this week. Would you like me to share them with you? Well, you know I would. I love the letters. Okay. Well, our first letter today is from Charles. And Charles writes, A new partnership was playing, and they both had some idea about signals, discards, and bidding. At our table, they ended up defending some game, and we made a tight contract. Afterwards, North said, did you not see my discard asking for a spade? And South replied, Sorry, I don't usually sit North-South. We just smiled broadly and in our conversation after said, What has sitting North-South got to do with missing a discard? <laughs> my partner and I say it all the time now and something doesn't go right. <laughs> I love Which it. probably
2: It's probably spreading around because other people will hear that and think, And so on,
1: and so on. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Thanks, Charles, for sharing that story. That's fabulous. And our next letter today, Jocelyn, is not actually a letter, it's a voicemail. Ooh, I love the voicemails. I know, it's wonderful. This is from Suzanne in London, England. And why don't we
3: take a listen? Hello, my name is Suzanne and I live in London, England, and I absolutely love the game of Bridge. I started learning at the age of about twenty and in fact it was my boyfriend at the time who started teaching me. Now more recently, um just before lockdown, I'd heard about a bridge event which was going to be partnering a professional and I thought, oh, this this sounds absolutely wonderful. So I was looking down the list. I think there were about 60 or 70 bridge professionals. And I came across Jeremy Dondi. And I thought, well, he must know how to play bridge. And he must be a good bridge player because he was the chairman of the EBU. So I put a bid in for him. And between November and February, nobody had outbid me. I had won the auction. And Jeremy Dondi was going to be my bridge partner for the evening. Anyway, it was a wonderful event. It was held at the Stationers Hall in the City of London. And uh, everybody knew Jeremy. So whenever we moved from table to table, everyone... I mean, they obviously said hello to me, but hi, Jeremy, how are you? And all very friendly. But on the penultimate round, we came across these two ladies who clearly didn't know who Jeremy was. And on one of the hands, I bid and made six diamonds, which gave us a very, very high percentage And on the next hand, uh, one of the ladies was in two hearts, which gave us an outright top because they should have been four hearts. Anyway, one of the ladies looked at us and said, which one of you is the pro? Well, I was very happy to pay £300 for that wonderful comment. That's great. That's great.
2: What an absolute thrill. And kudos to Suzanne. You know, it seems like playing up with Jeremy really brought out the best in her. That's fantastic.
1: Yes, and yet another reason to play in those charity games.
2: Yes. Get to play with your heroes and maybe get mistaken for a pro. So if you have any fun stories about a new partnership or breaking up with a partnership or a weird saying that you picked up at the table or perhaps being mistaken for a pro, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can tweet us at sorry underscore partner or send us a voice message like Suzanne did. These links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com along with some other good stuff.
1: Coming up next... Our interview with Janice Seaman-Molson. American
2: champion Janice Seaman-Molson is a World Bridge Federation World Grand Master. She has won five world championships, 19 North American championships, and more than 150 regional events and secondary titles. We began by asking if
0: she'd had any interesting hands lately. Well, I can't say lately, but I had a very, very fun hand in one of my favorite stories to tell. I was playing in a women's knockout, and Sabina, Aachen and Danielle were playing a very complicated system, including these funky two-bits. They weren't multi. They were like either or bids. like you open two diamonds and you either had a weak two-bit and hearts or spades and a minor And I said, oh, that looks like so much fun. Let's play that. So my partner and I learned it and we sat down to play. And the third or fourth hand in, she opened two diamonds and I proudly went through all the asking bids and eventually we landed in six spades. And when I bid six spades, the woman to my left started stuttering as she took out the double card. So, okay, fine. The dummy comes down. I have a doubleton spade. She has a singleton. We go down 1,100. And okay, we finish the boards. We go back to compare. My teammate at the time was Sharon Osberg, who is an expert from the California area. And we got to that board, and I said, minus 1,400. And she said, don't tell me. And she thought for a few seconds, and she said, six spades doubled. And I said, what? How did you know that? She said, only an expert could play in a 2-1 set at the six level. <laughs> and that is my absolute favorite bridge story about a muck-up. Have you
2: continued with that system? No. That was <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, the one corner we played. <laughs> Sabina and Daniela, they can have it. That's right. <laughs> It might have been what ended their partnership as well thinking about partnerships, we have
1: it on good record that you're quite fierce with your partners. Oh, do you I'm think brutal. that's fair to
0: say? I think it's sadly fair to say <laughs> I'm a terrible partner, but i'm I'm working on it. You think it's a negative attribute? absolutely, it's ridiculously bad. I get very cranky when people make mistakes, including myself. And I really don't have a lot of tolerance for forgetting systems and not knowing notes and fucking up at the bridge table for no real reason other than not paying attention, not concentrating, being stupid. But I'm better. I'm so much better. I'm interested to hear about the ways
1: that you feel that you're better. But what has prompted you to decide to be better?
0: Oh, I hate myself when I'm nasty to people. I really do. It's almost like you have this out-of-body experience where you're like looking down at yourself going, why are you being such an asshole? My father was a great bridge player. He represented the U.S. He was the first syndicated columnist in uh, the country. He had his own cable television show about bridge. He was brilliant, but he was a horrible, horrible partner. And for reasons which I will never understand, I emulated my father. Are you like this in other parts of your life? Is there another part of my (laughs) life? I have the patience of a saint as a mother, as an aunt. I used to be fierce when I was practicing law. But no, I mean, frankly, this is the part of my life that I am a complete jerk at. Nothing else.
1: Have you lost partners because of this?
0: I've had people threaten to stop playing with me because of this. I'm trying to think if I've ever had a partner that actually didn't play with me anymore after my being a jerk, even though they shouldn't have. I had clients that have stopped playing with me. (laughs) So yes, I have had partners, but professional partners, no. In what ways have you tried to improve? Well, I actually went to a sports psychologist and I went to a therapist And I take something called ketamine treatments, which is for depression and a little bit for aggression. And it's helped. I mean, I'm a long way from perfect, but I am significantly better than I used to be. I want to be a good partner.
1: Have you ever been formally chastised in the playing environment? Had a director called
0: over to speak to you about this? I had a situation. I was playing at the Nationals. I was playing with Jay Whipple, who at the time was the president of the ACBL. And we finished around, round and we got up and we walked away. And the next thing I knew, the director came over and he called me back and he said, your opponent has accused you of calling him a jerk. I looked at him and I said, I, I didn't call him a jerk. And my Jay said, she didn't say a word. We got up, We left the table. She said, hey, "AJ," because she was calling after me. And his partner said, she never said a word to him. He said, she called me a jerk. And I'm like looking at the director and the guy kept saying it over and over. She called me a jerk. She called me a jerk. And finally, I turned to him and I said, you know, I didn't call you a jerk then, but you are a jerk. (laughs) And they penalized us three quarters of a board. We were leading the event. It thankfully didn't cost us winning, but it cost us coming in third or fourth. And I really resented it because I really felt like I had left the table. Why am I getting penalized when they called me back to the table? And the guy kind of instigated me. It fell on deaf ears. The director said to me, if I don't penalize you when you're playing with the president of the ACBL, how can I justify penalizing anybody? But that's the only time. I mean, people have maybe tried to call the director on me, but I'd like to think I'm a pretty popular kid when it comes to directors. They kind of look at him and got to leave her alone. She's just an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> so again
1: just talking about the way that you've tried to improve you've had these external things you've had a therapist a sports psychologist these ketamine treatments but when you're at the table how are you acting differently what are you thinking about and how are you drawing on
0: these treatments to change your behavior i'm just really trying not to get mad inside at myself at my partners and at my opponents and i'm not perfect Not by a long shot. I'm getting better. I mean, I'm an old lady at this point. You know, at some point, I'm going to just be too old and tired to yell at people. I hope. I hope not. But, but yes, it is. You. When I'm getting upset, it's internal. Like I'm not kidding when I say there's like a monster and this nice person hovering outside going, "Why are you doing this?" So the object is to try to stay calm and focused as best I can, because not only when I get upset at my partner, does my partner get upset, but it does throw me as well. Do you think
2: that the things that get really under your skin the most are the mistakes that you feel responsible for and that kind of takes over? Or do you really think that you are triggered equally By things that your partner does?
0: Oh, I am a total equal opportunity asshole. You know, I learned, at least I tried to learn, that you don't get to take things back. And you can't think about one hand the next hand. I was playing one time, and I got to this most preposterous 7 note trump contract you've ever seen in your life. Preposterous. My opponent led the King of Diamonds. I won the ace. Obviously, ducking would not have been a good play. And I had to take a finesse for a jack. And I had to do 10 other preposterous things. And lo and behold, I caught her in a squeeze and I took 13 tricks. And I was so busy patting myself on the back for being brilliant that the next hand I misdefended four clubs, And they made 130 where they should have gone down. And I lost half of the imps that I had won for seven no trump by misdefending four clubs. And so, you know, you kind of learn that you just have to let things go. I'm not good at that either, but I'm getting them try.
2: Turning to things that your partners might appreciate about you. What do you think they would point to as your
0: greatest strength in the game of bridge? I think that I'm a good player. I make, a lot more mistakes than i used to i'm not nearly as good a player as i used to be sometimes i play awful i never used to play awful consistently sometimes i play awful but i am a good player and i'm a tough competitor and i'm a winner so i think that's what my partners and my teammates like best about me and i'm an asshole as a teammate too by the way so it's win at any cost well we'll cheat I mean, and when I say I won't cheat, I mean, I don't mean collusive cheating or anything like that, that maybe the rules say are okay, that I don't think okay. Like when people claim against me and I don't have the rest of the tricks or they have another trick coming or something like that, I won't take it. You know, even if it's like a major competition, I'm just like, well, no, you know. I mean, I'm not saying that if somebody forgets there's a Trump out and claims that I'm going to say, oh, wait, you must pull Trump first, making, you know, I won't do that. But if people lead out a turn, unless it's somebody I really don't like, I always say just pick it up. That's not technically cheating. That's playing by the rules. But some rules are just not palatable to me. Are you a fun partner? I can be. I can be a fun partner. I can be a fun opponent. I love to sing. So a lot of times I'll be playing a hand and I'll be singing as I'm playing it. I remember once the bidding went three passes and I opened four of a major and the opening lead was made. The dummy came down without a point in her hand. So I called the director and I said, this is not possible that it could go pass and my partner could have a zero count. And I opened four and it's not possible. And he said, well, I understand your concern, but what can you do? So I said, all right, well, I'm going to try to come down to three twos in the dummy. Because basically (laughs) the dummy was terrible. So I was singing and I was unblocking spot cards. And every time I made a play, one of my opponents made a worse play. And they kept giving me tricks. And it was like I was down three and then I was down two and I'm singing. And in the end, I came down to three twos and took 10 tricks. So the opponents came up to me after the set was over and said, you know, you're really lovely and we really think you have a lovely singing voice, but when you're singing coming down to three twos as we're misdefending, we're just too outclassed. So we're going to let you have a long dinner tonight. Enjoy yourself. And I felt very bad, but they weren't upset. They were laughing. So we all went to dinner instead of playing the second half of the tournament.
1: Is there a part of you, though, that's using the singing to try and disrupt
0: their concentration? No, absolutely not. I sing everywhere. And if anybody asked me not to sing, I wouldn't sing. I'm a happy person. Is there an issue in bridge that's really important to you at the moment? Yes, there is an issue in bridge, and that's women's bridge. Women's bridge is dying. I mean, the United States just had a U.S. team trials. One of the two teams that won was five-handed. They need a sixth, and they can't find a sixth. It's sad. It's sad, the state of the United States Women's Bridge. What would you like to see? What would I honestly like to see? Yeah. Oh, I'll get stoned for this. Okay. People are going to send in nasty letters. What I would really like to see is the reinstatement of some men's events. I mean, I don't think that every event has to be open or women's. I think that occasionally you can have a men's and a women's event, Mm -hmm. which would allow the equal footing that they used to have, even if people thought women didn't play as well as men in the old days, they were on equal footing, the men's events and the women's events. So they were treated with the same status is what you're saying? That's correct. And when I started playing bridge, they used to have women's knockouts that had 65 teams in it. We used to go as long as the spin goals. And, you know, now people say, oh, the women are such bitches and then if that's bull. The guys are just as bad as the women. It's just that because of these open events, people look at women's events as secondary. Right. And when something is secondary, it loses some of its prestige. And I'm not saying eliminate all open events. Absolutely not. But why can't one national event be a men's and a women's.
1: What's the argument for having a men's and a women's if men and women play the same?
0: Well, there isn't really an argument, but then you're, you're going to feed into the same thing. Then why have women's at all? That's exactly right. I guess
1: I am curious because I probably disagree with you, but I am really curious to try and understand.
0: Well, I think that The women's has been something that we have had for, I don't know how many years, 40, 50 years. We've had an international women's type thing. I think it's lovely. And I've made my livelihood playing women's events. They're special to me.
1: So do you feel it detracts a little bit from your achievements and your history?
0: I don't know. And I don't really care detracting. It doesn't matter. When I'm gone, nobody's going to remember me anyway. It's just all about You know, my achievements are for myself and, frankly, for my daughter, who's very proud of my achievements. And that makes me happy that she's proud of me. But it doesn't mean anything. You know, you walk out of bridge and you walk into the real world and the real world are people who don't even, you know, I meet people. I say I'm a professional bridge player. Oh, my grandmother played bridge. You know, that's the way it is. It doesn't mean anything. It's not like... Yeah, but staying with it for a minute
1: because it does mean something. People have lots of feelings about it and I think it's really interesting to explore. I'm going to ask you a slightly provocative question, which is, if you were playing always in the open, do you think you wouldn't have done as well? I
0: totally think I wouldn't have done as well. I might have become maybe a better bridge player. I mean, certainly playing you know, and having the access is the best word that I have to great bridge players, male and female, has totally helped my game. So I can't imagine that playing against the best players wouldn't make me a better player. It's a numbers game, if nothing else. There are 10 or 15, you go to a Nashville and you go to a Spingold, of Vanderbilt, whatever, there are 10 or 15 teams that I am never going to be competitive with with my little group of people, my band, if you will. That's nothing against us. I mean, that's just reality. I would rather be a big fish in a small pond than a guppy in a larger one. How do you feel about the mixed competition? Well, the mixed competition is great fun. I was very fortunate. I got to play with a wonderful player, Daniel Corbell, in the last mixed. Unfortunately, the team not very good. And that was in part because of me. I had some major dental issues. And I also learned that after 40 years of competitive bridge, that it really does matter, the attitude of your team. I never thought it did. I always was kind of like, whatever, you know. But I played on a team that was not at all cohesive. They wanted to point out what was wrong with what everybody did and not, let's go, gang. Let's, you know, it was just very unpleasant. I've been a professional bridge player a lot of years, over 40. Never had that experience before. Did it put you off? Yes, it did. And again, it taught me a major lesson in being a team player and being a rah-rah rather than, even if I don't mean it, that it does matter. You have a bad result, it's okay you had a bad result. You know, go on to the next board, not, huh, you missed the screens.
1: Thinking about all the amazing places that you played, is there somewhere in there that's maybe quite unexpected or particularly memorable? I'm just thinking at a really unusual
0: location, anything especially quirky, something that comes to mind? When I was in law school, I spent a semester at Cambridge and I decided to take the summer and travel all over Europe. I'd never been there before. So I was on a ferry and it was a night ferry. And it was about 2.30 in the morning. It was so cold. It was so cold. And I was walking through to the ladies' room, not to go to the bathroom, but in the hopes that I could get a little warm. And I stumbled over four people playing bridge on the floor by the ladies' room. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Now, I wasn't a professional bridge player back then. I was a law student. But I had to sit down and partake a little. So I think that's the weirdest, quirkiest place I've ever played bridge by the ladies room on a ferry going to Holland.
2: Did you ever reconnect with those people or find them at a tournament or anything like that?
0: No, no. They were they were young, believe it or not. I mean, their one lady had a little child, like a four year old sleeping in her lap as she was holding the car. It was so cold. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I didn't. It was just, you know. 20 minutes or so, and then I had to try to escape into a stall for the hope I could warm up a bit. Do you have a favorite
2: tournament that you really love?
0: Well, I love the World Championships. There's just nothing like I mean, when I started playing, my first World Championship was 2000, and I was, like, bouncing around, talking to all the Europeans, and they're, like, kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? So at some point, I was talking to the the late Maria Earhart, who was a brilliant, brilliant player from Austria. Brilliant. She was also notorious as a horrible partner. And I said to her, why is it that the Europeans hate the Americans? She said, I'll give you three reasons. And I won't specify what the three reasons were, but they were all American players. So I kind of set out at that point to make it my goal to be a very friendly American. And I I think that I won't say I was the first to ever be friends with a European, but I was the first to be like really genuinely liked by a lot of the Europeans as a good player and as a good person. And that made me happy. I think a little kindness goes a long way. It does. And I don't understand why people think it's important to be nasty. You know, I mean, it's one thing. Maybe it's like I said, I'm working on it not being acceptable at the table. But when the game is over and you're in a bar or something like that, and now I see like all these Europeans are at the nationals. They're socializing with the American players. They're friends with the American players. It's lovely. But in 2000, it was not like that at all.
2: Is there anything that makes you nervous when you play bridge?
0: Oh, I'm always nervous when we start out. The first time I played in the finals in Bermuda in 2000 of uh, a world championship and I picked up my cards and my hands were shaking so bad that I could barely hold them. When I looked over to the Dutch player, Beth Green, who was their top player at the time and her hands were shaking more than mine. And that calmed me down. So yeah. You know, you're always a little nervous excitement when you're, you know, once you lose that, you kind of lose all the fun of it, don't you? Is it a little like that stage fright that actors talk about? Absolutely. And it goes away very quickly. But there's this nervous energy and it's got to be there when you start. Do you have a way of harnessing it to your benefit? It doesn't last long enough to harness or not harness. But no, if it, it it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought you were saying that it was kind of necessary to having the right energy at the table, but that's not how you
0: feel. No, not to having the right energy. It's necessary because it means it's important. Right. And you gotta get jazzed for important. But no, it's not a positive thing to be nervous. I don't think it's ever positive to be nervous. Have you ever had a situation, though, where it hasn't gone away and you've really had to work at calming yourself down? No. Honestly, no. Yeah. That was the most significant one. And like I said, the second that I saw her hands shaking, it went away. I realized this is just a natural kind of thing. Do you remember the
2: first time you were hired to play bridge as a pro? Yeah, I
0: knew. I knew nothing. The Nationals were in Miami, I think it was 1978, 77, something like that. I knew nothing. I'd been playing bridge about a year, but I was a seaman. And that meant something in South Florida. Back in the day, before there were like a million people marrying other people and having, you know, we were the number one family. So this lady needed a partner for a side game. So she hired me for $25 to play in the side game. I was in the side game and it's Peter White's and Alan Sontag and Jimmy Kane. And it's like, Oh my God. And we had an auction that went, um, I had a 13 count with five spades and four hearts. And my partner opened the club and I bid a spade and she bid a no trump and I bid two spades and she passed. And I was yelling at her, how can you pass? You know, why didn't you bid again? She said, it's a sign-off. I'm like, what are you talking about, a sign-off? You had four hearts. Why didn't you bid two hearts? She said, that's a reverse. What are you talking about, reverses? <laughs> I think I was overpaid at $25, don't you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> of all the wonderful people that you've met in Bridge, is there a particular person that stands out as being just the most fascinating person that you've met through
0: Bridge? Well, my husband... I mean, I don't know if he was the most fascinating, but of everybody I've met in Bridge, I am the most grateful to have met him because he gave me this perfect child. You can't really ask for more than perfection. And I never asked for perfection, but in this case, I got it. He was so revered in the Bridge community.
1: When you're playing Bridge, what sorts of things come back to you when you're playing that you feel you learn from him or that he influenced you the most, you know, in terms of your style, maybe, or just
0: generally at the table? Well, he was such a happy guy, and he loved people. And I think that, uh, in spite of the fact, he also, by the way, was not a very good lover, (laughs) but he was a lovable guy. I don't know that anything he specifically, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't around that long, relatively speaking. I lost him relatively quickly. And we didn't get as much of an opportunity to play together as we would have liked. It's kind of like my brother also. I lost my brother. And I would say to my brother, let's play in the world mixed. And he would say, we can't afford to. And that was kind of like it was with Mark. We were hired by other people. We couldn't really afford to play together. It was just too much money that we were losing. So I had these two spectacularly brilliant bridge players in my family that I didn't really get to take full advantage of. Do you think that there
1: are economic inequities in the game now that have an effect on who's playing
0: and at what level they're playing? Oh, sure, sure. Women are not getting paid. That This is other part of the problem. and And maybe... It goes back to what I was saying before about how there are 15 teams that, you know, whatever ragtag group we could get together, you know, I mean, we couldn't get plowed through those 15. I'm not saying we couldn't be one or two of them or even maybe all 15 on any one given day, but we're not going to do it with any consistency. So we're not going to get paid the same wages as these guys, these 56, 57, 60 guys are going to get paid. I mean, women's events, I'm going to command top dollar. Mixed events, I'm going to command top dollar. Open events, it's like, who is she? You're usually playing in high-level competitions, but have you
1: taught anyone to play just because? Yes, my
0: daughter and her friends. And how did that go? Not well. (laughs) not well. My daughter plays a little bit. She's a very pretty girl. So when, before they changed the nationals so that they were like 10 in the morning, two in the afternoon, when they used to have what they were truly midnight games where all the kids would go, I used to walk down there and I would see like five guys surrounding my daughter watching her play, which was pretty comical because she really knows very little about bridge. And they had a rule; they weren't allowed to double her. So she was playing with Kevin Rosenberg, and she bid three no trump. And they doubled her. And one of the guys said, "You can't double Jennifer." So he says, "All right, I undouble." And Kevin says, "Well, I'm bidding four spades." And simultaneously, the two opponents doubled him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I love teaching. I mean. I try to start kids off with the game of spades so that they get the idea of Trump. But there's a lot to bridge and kids, you know, at least the kids I taught, they were busy doing theater. They didn't have time for bridge. Are there any books that have
2: significantly helped your game or that you recommend most frequently?
0: Well, I think that I probably spent a year before I sat down and played bridge, kibitzing and reading bridge books. I had made up my mind that when I sat down and play, in spite of what I just told you the first time I sat down and played, I wanted to be somewhat competent. And I found, and I just recommended to a student of mine, that Eddie Cantor wrote his books not the canter on the defense books that are currently, but they're like from when I was in my 20s. And they're like Cantor defense books. And it has a page with a problem, the bidding, the opening lead and the dummy. And you figure out and then you turn to the back of that, you know, the next page on the back and it has an explanation. Now, mind you, it's not updated. It's not upside down carding. There's no Smith Echo. There's none of that jump. It's old-fashioned, logical bridge problems. But I think they're the greatest. And I still, once a year, pick up the book, the books and go through them and still miss some, darn it. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you've been playing bridge? I don't know if you'd call this funny, but I was playing in the World Championships in Istanbul, and it was the first day, and we had gotten blitzed our first two matches. So we literally were last in the field at the moment that we were playing the third match. So we sat down to play against them. And in those days, the north-south players had to bring a recorder to the table. A person who actually wrote the hands down, the bidding down, the play, the whole thing. Toby Sokolow, my partner, opened the bidding with a spade and it cut. So it went a spade and the tray came back. And the lady passed and I bid a no trump. I alerted, force it went past, and we sent the tray back. It went came back past, and Toby had bid two spades. And I had king, queen, jack, ten, seventh of clubs, and a singleton spade. So I was deciding whether I was going to bid three clubs or not. When I looked down, and the lady to my right had bid three clubs, I tried not to shake as I picked up the double card and calmly placed it in the tray. And we passed it back, and it went past, past, past. And now they take the tray off the table and the lady starts to lead. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm leading to two spades. And I started laughing and I said, well, I don't blame you for that, but you're in three clubs, doubled. And she said, no, I'm not. I go, yeah, you are. So we raised the thing and we called the director. And my partner says she's in three clubs doubles. And her partner says, I don't know the contract. <laughs> and they, t- the director turns to the recorder and says, do you have the paper? And she said, yes. And he said, what is the contract? And the woman said, three clubs doubled. And I even led one. So what happened after that? Well, we pl- defended three clubs doubled. We blitzed the match. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember a show called The Jeffersons? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, we all started singing. Well, we're moving on up to the East. To side. the East. Side. <laughs> to, to a, a D. D- Luxe D- apartment D- in the D- sun. D- you got it.
3: <laughs>
0: See, we always sing.
3: Yeah,
2: I sing too, but I always get asked to shush.
0: <laughs> That, to me, it might not have been a funny story, but it was pretty funny when the lady said, I'm leading to two space. No, you're not.
2: (laughs) Do you have a favorite
0: bridge convention or gadget that you really love to play? I don't get to play it very often, but when last year, when we were preparing for the world championships, uh, the woman I qualified with couldn't play, so I was playing with Sandra Rinstead. And she taught me over No Trump these transfers after transfers, which I loved. And I love a major double playing transfers. And I love one of a major by us, two of a major by the opponents, Michaels playing transfers. So your a- my answer is I like transfers. I think transfers in any form are fantastic. <laughs> transfers everywhere.
2: Because they open up so many avenues for exploration, or
0: yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's like so nice. you can transfer for a lead and then raise partner. you can always theoretically right side the contract, you know, like a no trump, two diamonds, two hearts, two spades is a relay of two no, and you know, then you just do all sorts of good stuff, and two no directly. Over Two Diamonds, Two Hearts. is clubs with Invitational. Plus, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Love that stuff. (laughs) Now, can I tell you about the convention? I I hate. hate. Yes. Well, I hate Four Spades Blackwood for Hearts. And I'll tell you why. Not only have I never had a good result with it, but I never remember it. Right. (laughs) And... I know that theoretically it's a better convention because if you bid 4 no and partner bids five spades and hearts is Trump, Bob's your uncle. But I hate it. And I was starting a partnership with Jill Myers, and she said to me, we have to play it. I said, I can't play it. I hate it. She says, well, you're going to have to play it. So she opened two spades. I bid three hearts. She bid four hearts. I've been four spades, key card and hearts, and it went all past. And I said, that's it, Jill? No. Done. Zip, zero, zilch. I will never play that. So even when I don't forget it, I get a bad result. What is the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? If I were to tell you the best piece of advice I was ever given, it would have to be that bidding and the play are not two separate entities. If you don't develop the picture in the bidding and keep it during the play in the defense, then you're walking around in the dark. You know, your your opponent bids spades, and then they bid hearts, and they've shown up with three diamonds. Well, you better remember they just have one club. And too many people just don't remember the bidding once they've made the opening lead. So I think that's the best advice anybody ever gave me and the best advice that I could give to anybody. They're not separate parts of a game. I used to make a joke that I wanted to form a new kind of game. And I wanted it to start with four people sitting there with shirts on that said bidders. And they would bid, and then the whistle would blow, and the designated defenders would come, the declarer and the dummy. And everybody would have the shirts and that you'd play the game that way. That's a very different game.
1: Much more specialized. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Janice, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. It's been terrific. Thank you both. I've enjoyed myself very much. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Janice Seaman Molson.
2: Thank you also to our Sorry Partner posse of listener supporters who make the show possible.
1: Sorry Partner is produced by Katherine Harris with production assistance from Jade Gray and David Turner. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy with additional music by Elijah Meltzer.
2: Send your bridge stories and comments to Podcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message. And please consider joining the Sorry Partner Posse that helps keep us on the air, so to speak. You'll get ad-free episodes, a monthly newsletter, bonus audio from time to time, and other supporter perks. These links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but
1: be nice or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Janice says, if you don't develop a picture of the hands during the auction, you're playing in the dark. (laughs) Thank you, partner. Thank
2: you, partner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.